Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. On the podcast, joining me via Zoom um, are two parents, um, Don and Jenny Hong, and their son, Isaac. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it so much. We're excited to be here. I've been aware of this family for a while. Um, Don has shared some wonderful things, um, church talks in particular, about belonging and inclusion and better supporting everybody that have been deeply pastoral and deeply helpful to me. And um, part of this podcast will be Don sharing um, those words, and we'll also link to his full talk if you want to read it. It's the kind of talk you might want to run with and adapt to. Um, your circle and um, take some of the principles that Don shares. Um, I've been connected with Jenny for a while too, and um, I've been aware they've had a have a gay son. They still do. It's not past tense. Um, he's on the podcast with us, Isaac Hong. Isaac is about 30. He lives in American Fork. He's a product manager. He served a mission with Chile. He is not active in the church. He has a boyfriend. They've been together about four years. And so this is a story of two active LDS parents um, learning about eight years ago their son is gay and navigating that road. So I'm grateful that Isaac's on the podcast and and willing to share his story. This is um, a beautiful family love story of just walking this road together and keeping the family relationship together which I think is such a key part of being um, families. Um, They really are prepared for this podcast. I didn't surprise me as I've read um, Don's words. He's really thoughtful. And I think Jenny's so, but um, the the outline is kind of, we're just going to get Isaac sharing his story. Um, Then we're going to get mom and dad's comments. And Don's going to talk more about um, his talk. That talk is kind of around doubt and I don't want to give away Oh, I had it all queued up. Where did it go, listeners? The title of that talk is missing, um, but it's a you have a positive spin on doubt. What's the title of the talk, Don? I think I was talk, asked to give a talk on um, the spiritual gifts, and my spin was the uh, the spiritual gift of doubt. So that's a pretty thoughtful um, framing of a talk. It kind of reminds me of Jared, Jared Halverson says, don't let a good faith crisis go to waste. And I think you referenced some of him. So with that, um, we said a prayer and we just hope that um, this this story that's more than just parenting a gay son, um, it's about, even if you don't have a gay member of your family, it's about preserving the family relationship, um, navigating complicated issues and honoring everybody's personal journey. So with that, Isaac, I'll um, thank you for being here and we'll let you share your story. Wow, thank you, Richard. Um, I think something that I think listeners would like to know is is from a young age, I really enjoyed church. And I I was a really good rule follower too. And I was active involved in, you know, several church callings growing up. Um, you know, seminary graduate. I spoke at seminary. I even remember like referencing a journal entry for in my seminary graduation where it was I was a freshman in high school and I was just like I love going to seminary because it is such a spiritual place to step away from school for a second and just like enjoy the spirit so I really felt comfortable and loved um, being a member of the church um, served a mission and I just felt like 
it was the best thing. And then I started, as I started getting older, I started realizing that things weren't working out exactly how I thought they were going to. That's as I became later in my teen years, I recognized that I was gay. And, but as I'm such a good rule follower, I really was able to say, well, you know what? I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to go to BYU for a semester, go on a mission. I had many things on my checklist to check off before I decided to deal with being gay. And um, I remember that after I came back from my mission and the next thing on my checklist was get married in the temple. I started really digging into that and I just was devastated on each date that I went on with a girl because I was just so, I would try so hard and it did not work. And I remember just seeing like uh, how dark of a state I was turning into. And that's when I really was like, okay, I think I need to talk to someone about this because it's becoming very heavy in my life. And that's when I decided that I would start coming out to a few individuals and I really wanted to come out to my parents. So um, I remember it was when my sister was getting her mission call and I think she was going through the temple. She was getting endowed. And uh, I decided to come out to my parents and I expected that they would love me. I didn't have this fear that I know some people have of like, am I going to get kicked out tonight? Like what's going to happen? And yet it was still the most terrifying thing because you have this in your brain of like, well, I know my parents love me, but what will happen? And it's such a heavy question that weighs on you. But that, I mean, that's what I remember from that night. What do you guys remember from? Yeah, I, um, so that, you know, that's the day when, you know, um, you kind of like, you have three kids at the temple with you and you just, you know, you have still a younger one at home and you're thinking to yourself, you know, three down, one to go, we're almost there. And, and, um, I had really kind of always thought since Isaac was in about kindergarten that he was gay, but, um, you know, I didn't know for sure. And then after his mission, when he didn't really say anything, I I was thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And um, but that that night when he came in, um, no, I now that he says, I just don't. I didn't really know what to expect. It it makes me feel horrible because that night and every day since, I I would never in my mind be like you would never be the second choice ever. <laughs> you would always be the one I choose always. And um, I feel like looking back as a parent, I, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020, right? You, um, you think now of all the things you could attend different to make sure each one of your kids knows they are number one. But I really wish Isaac would have known that. And, um, and I know that especially the three months after that, there are so many things that I regret saying um, 
I think I was open to it and I was fine with it, but I wasn't quite where Isaac was. And I thought, oh, if we pray, you know, for that first three months, we pray harder. If we do this and we do this and we do this, it will change, (laughs) you know, and I didn't take into the account that Isaac had been doing this for years. And so I needed that about three months to catch up and realize how much pain he had been in and um, everything. And then I think it was about after the third or fourth month, boy, I mean, I was 100% on board. How can I support you? What can I do? But it, it did take me a little bit of time. I mean, not that I, I was ready to support Isaac and I loved him completely. But I did think, oh, we just need to petition Heavenly Father and it will all be better. I, I went through that for a little bit and um, until, until I realized that. Um, and then, you know, the day that Heavenly Father told me, hey, I love Isaac just the way he is. How come you're, you know, like you don't have to struggle with this because I love him just the way he is. And I expect you to love him just the way he is. And I, I did. I just thought that somehow all those prayers would change things. It's really both of you. Thank you for being so honest. Um, Dawn, do you have some thoughts to share? Yeah, I I think for me, like Jenny said, she kind of thought maybe Isaac was was gay. And I guess I think she even asked me before. And I think I just simply said, no, you know, I, I don't know if it was denial, if I just didn't want to have to think about it. But I, I think I was kind of like, I'm not going to think about it until I have to think about it, maybe. I don't know. But I it was a little bit of a surprise to me when he told us that. And I I was I was bishop at the time, and I think I was still kind of, I was pretty naive about it. And I think I was, you know, in my own mind, I thought, I think after Isaac left, I think I even said, said to Jenny, I said, because I think she was kind of saying, you know, Isaac, you know, he might marry a man and all that. And I thought, oh, no, no, he'll, he'll be like, Isaac would be on the Mormon ad, and he'll be like, I'm gay and I'm Mormon you know, kind of thing. And that's just kind of, I was naive about it. And so it, it was, uh, it took me a while to kind of catch up with everybody, but, uh, but I was totally confident that, I, I mean, we loved Isaac and there, there was never any, there's no way we, we would ever withhold love or anything like that. So that's the one thing I think that, uh, I, I knew in my my heart that that's how it would be. I just didn't know down the road how things would look. Uh, Go ahead, Jenny or Isaac. I was just going to comment, like, my parents have been fantastic through this journey. I think one thing that's important to call out is is it was not a smooth, (laughs) beautiful journey. It it has been made beautiful because we have communicated with each other and loved each other and had hard conversations with each other. Um, But I just remember after coming out, you know, I was under the impression at that time that I would stay active in the church and we would figure it out. That's where they were. And then for a couple of years, like I remember praying and trying to make this happen and be so steadfast in my faith and almost to the point of like, I will be, 100% 100% perfect if this can be taken from me. And it just mentally taxed me to a point where I just was hoping that I, I didn't think there was a place for me on this earth. It was, it was too hard. And 
the conversations that we had along the way during this time, I felt like, like everyone slowly began to realize like, oh, like what does the future look like? And I felt like I had to start being more brave with my parents of being like, hey, like what does our relationship look like if I don't stay active, if I marry a man, if I do this and we just had several phone calls where tears were shed and and feelings were expressed and sometimes we would have to like regroup and see how it's going but it was we all knew that we loved each other um but it did take time yeah and i think the day that i that i and i kind of shared this in the lift and love story but the day that i really knew that we had to really figure this out and instead of trying to guide Isaac we needed to just um listen to Isaac and and kind of put out there whatever you need from us we are ready to give do whatever instead of trying to counsel and and all this kind of stuff we will just be there for you whatever you need from us and I think that was a huge transition for for me like because I think sometimes I think, well, what should I say? What should I do? How should I, you know, how should I counsel him? And then that that day, and um, I realized, oh, I, I don't really need to do that. I just need to pure love. And what do you need from me? Um, I think that changed me. But one day when I was driving in the car, he had called me. And uh, we have a family member that has a liver disease. and um, when that progresses, he will need a new liver. And so Isaac, and at the time we thought that that progression would happen in a shorter amount of time. But um, Isaac called me one day and just said, hey, I have I have the perfect solution for this problem. And, and I said, oh, what's that? And he goes, well, when it comes time, we'll just find somebody that will take my liver because I don't really need it. I don't need to be here. Wow. You know, and, and <laughs> you know, obviously that... That was the day when I realized this is not working <laughs> and that we need to figure out how. So Isaac knows that he is loved for exactly who he is and that his life is worth living how he wants to live it and that we needed to figure this out and um, make sure that he knew that he had our full blessing and love to do whatever he needed to do with his life. Yeah. yeah it and it was i think i was i was always you know 50 paces behind everybody else and i was just trying to catch up because i remember you know isaac he uh he posted and and kind of told his story and let everybody you know that was following him um kind of know that you know he was coming out and one of the stories that he shared was you know he kind of he tried to make it work and he said one time I was just holding the door open for people that were going to BYU and he held the door open and there was a, a boy that came through that door was kind of cute and then all of a sudden Isaac was like wow why am I feeling these butterflies and all that stuff and and that kind of made me realize oh yeah that's 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 okay and I, you know, it was sometime after that when Isaac decided, hey, I, I need to start dating. I start dating men. And he had dated some some women and it just, you know, just wasn't, wasn't the same. And I remember 
I, I think I said something like, well, to be really honest with you, Isaac, you know, I'd be a, I'm not as excited for you to, to go date men as a, I was a, my daughter called me up and said, Hey, I'm, I'm really dating this really special guy. And I mean, I just trying to be honest, but it hurt Isaac. I think he was kind of like, dad, why, why would you be happy for your daughter? But you wouldn't be happy for me. Don't, don't you want me to be happy too? And, uh, ah, I was just, I think I was, I, I regret obviously saying those things and anything else along those lines. But, um, I think for me, I was just processing and trying to, you know, to, to catch up. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad Isaac went down that path because, um, you know, it, it just made him so much happier. That's just a terrific segment. I know we're going to move on. Um, but that's, I, even though there were some bumpy road parts of this story and um, you even on the outline called it our ungraceful journey. I think it's a beautiful family love story. And I just sense there's been communication has been, you know, part of the culture of the Hong family is we're going to talk about this and we're going to have the difficult, uncomfortable conversations. And those are painful, but I think that's where growth occurs and that's where preserving the family relationship occurs. Um, Jenny, this was a pretty powerful line. His life is worth living how he wants to live it. That's really yeah. powerful. And I just think recognizing where he is, not wanting to live Isaac and feeling like, what's the point? And your parents picking up on that either directly or indirectly and just saying, we got to keep you alive and we got to support you. And um, I've always thought that if, you know, kids are going to same sex date, if possible, I think they're going to make better decisions if that's the reality of their future, if they keep their family in the equation um, and keep the shame of that out of the equation. I think you make better decisions when trusted adults are in your life. And if you get in a, a difficult situation that you know you need to get out of, you can turn to trusted adults to manage that. So I just think it's better if that's the reality of a family situation to have trusted adults like parents walking that road with you. and. I think it helps you make better decisions. So um, I'd love to, are there more comments on this stage of the story where we've talked to Don's talk? Yes. I think we're okay. 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 Then um, Don has shared at least one, I think there's a couple sacrament talks that have kind of gone viral. So I'll let you introduce uh, more of these talks or talk. Oh, okay. Thanks, Richard. I, I know that the first one that I sent you, and this was a couple of years ago, and I sent it just because I had, it was on belonging. Yeah. And I was, it was, it was shaped because I had read your, your brother's book, David's book on bridges, um, ministering to those that question. And honestly, that, that really, um, that really shaped some of my thoughts as to, those that are marginalized, you know, and those that just don't feel like they belong and, and probably things that I haven't really given any serious thought to. So I wanted to share that with you just because that was your brother. And I thought, Oh, maybe, you know, you might tell your brother how much that impacted me, but I remember sending that to you. And then we corresponded a little bit. And then that shaped again, my talk that I gave recently. Um, and that was basically a, a talk on my own journey of doubt and having a gay son. And, um, Again, just uh, your brother's book 
again, shaped some of my thoughts on doubt, that doubt really is not a bad thing. Um, and I, you know, I kind of contrast that because uh, where I work, I work as an engineer. One of the expectations at my work is that, hey, uh, you need to have a questioning attitude. If something doesn't seem right, you know, you don't, you don't go forward until you reconcile that. And, you know, by having that permission to have questions, um, you know, it really makes the workplace a, a more safe place and uh, an improved culture. And so I, I always thought, well, how come a church doesn't feel that way? How come sometimes we, you know, we're kind of shamed if we have any doubts, you know, in, in, term, in the context of faith anyway. And um, so that was kind of my, my premise to, to kind of talk about it. Uh, and, and I really kind of want to normalize that, yeah, we all have questions and that's okay. And sometimes maybe we even have doubts and, and that's actually not a bad thing. It can actually, you know, bear good fruits. And so that was kind of the, the gist of my talk. I, I wanted to um, emphasize or not emphasize, but I guess I wanted to tell people about my journey in having a gay son because I think probably everybody in the world knew we had a gay son because I had posted about it years ago. Uh, but nobody's ever really ever talked to us about it. I think when Isaac came out, there was maybe one person that came up and said, hey, I saw the post and just wanted to let you know that, you know, we're, we're here. And that was super meaningful. But I think, honestly, that's the only time I ever had anybody say anything to me. And so I don't know if it was because they didn't feel like they had permission to or, or we were uncomfortable. But the bottom line is I wanted to know that I, I was proud of Isaac. And yes, he's gay, but you know that has nothing to do with the reason why I'm proud of him. And uh, so, so I shared that in my talk. And um, I think, um, you know, even Jenny, she kind of experienced a little bit of that. You know, I, I just want to make the point that hey, we're proud of our son, and if you guys want to ever say anything or ask about him, we're we're happy to talk about him. And because because Jenny has said before, and maybe I'll just let her share that, but she's kind of had the same experience. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of interesting. People will come up to you and ask you, we have four kids and people will come up and ask you about three of them. <laughs> and so, um, you, it, it kind of makes you almost just want to turn around and walk away, you know, but you don't want to be rude. And so I usually will talk about the three and then I'll say, and then Isaac's doing Super wonderful as well, <laughs> you know. And um, these are all people that that really actually love Isaac. I know it. And um, Isaac was our family was a huge part of our ward growing up. Our kids were very. I mean, they were in with all the rest of the kids, and uh, that they were loved. And I really. Reflecting on all this, I really do realize that some of it was our responsibility because we didn't know how to navigate it either, and they didn't know how to navigate it. And I wish, looking back, that we would have said more things publicly earlier and almost given people the permission to ask us about Isaac, to talk about Isaac, because we were, we were the people in our ward that should have been, and we are now, but we've missed a few years of leading out on this to make more people more comfortable, to help people 
know how to navigate this. And so I think we did miss a few steps along the way um, because now, and especially after the second talk, I've had so many people in the Lord come up and just say, you know, we love Isaac, right? You know, we do, you know, and that I really appreciated it so much. I mean, there are still people that don't and that's okay. Um, and another thing that we've had is just so many people. Did you know I have a gay granddaughter? A, Gay brother, uh, you know, it, it's just been incredible to me how many people um, this really touches and just really didn't know. So, anyway. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I think the time that it really was clear to me was I remember one person was talking to my wife and then she lowered her voice and just said in a hushed tone, but we don't have problems like you do. And we were like, Jenny was a little taken back. She goes, hey, if you think I am, I'm ashamed of my son, you're wrong. You know, and she made it very clear. And I think, I think we just, I don't know, we, we need to make sure the doors were open that we yeah. were proud of our son. But uh, so, so that's one thing that I did mention in the talk. And one thing I wanted to come across is people knew that, hey, if they want to talk about Isaac, we, we, we love talking about Isaac. But then the other point that I wanted to bring out was that, like I said, I, I think doubt sometimes get, gets a bad rap that, uh, that we think of it as a weakness. And, um, and I know that my work, my work appreciates the question and attitude. And I think that actually yields good fruit. Um, so I kind of talked about how sometimes when uh, we have questions, uh, maybe sometimes I've done it before in the past, I, I say, well, I'm going to put that on the shelf. You know, and I, I, I don't deal with it uh, or I default to some kind of certainty. And, um, you know, what I have found uh, when I wrestled specifically with this, with what the church teaches about, you know, gay marriage is a sin and having a gay son. Um, and I wrestled with that. The, the fruits that came out of that was I, I had I had more understanding. I had a. I, I had an open mind. I had more empathy. Um, I had more compassion. I mean, those were the fruits of my wrestle. And the times that I didn't wrestle and I just put things on a shelf, I was more judging. I was more willing to exclude others. Um, I was more willing to think that I was right. You know, and I, I think those are kind of the, the sins of certainty when you really bypass the wrestle. And so... I guess when I looked at it in whole, I thought that, you know, this really is, there, there, there's a gift with having doubt, and there are good fruits that come from doubt, and the litmus test is if those fruits are good, then, um, you know, you're becoming more like your, your Heavenly Father, and if you, you know, I compare that to my, my other putting things on shelf and just kind of defaulting to certainty, you know, those, those are poor fruits. And they, they were not the fruits of Christ. And so I guess my point was, hey, you know, the wrestle is, is well worth it. And it helped me become closer to God. And so that's, that's kind of what the gist of my, my talk was. But um, I also didn't come to this conclusion until I kind of learned about faith stages. And um, faith stages were something that I really hadn't really heard about. Um, 
But what I've come to realize is that faith stages are really kind of a maturing of your faith. And uh, when I first started going down this um, dissonance, I guess, of kind of wrestling with you know, what the church has taught and what my lived experiences with Isaac was, um, it, it's uncomfortable. It felt like I was, in a way, you know, I was wondering, am I, am I losing my testimony? But once I kind of learned about the faith stages, I kind of came to the conclusion that I'm not losing my testimony as I am in growing it and, and maturing in it. And so I thought maybe I would just share um, what, what the meaning of faith stages are. And um, uh, there are a lot of different sources that have been written about it. Um, Bruce and Marie Hafen have a book called Faith is Not Blind and groups them into three stages. Um, James Fowler has an academic treatment and defines it with six stages, but the, the ones that resonated me were the terms that Jer Jared Halverson, he's a BYU professor, he used for these faith stages, and then he, he calls them and names them as the creation, fall, and atonement. And maybe I'm just going to read part of my talk to introduce these three stages uh, for your listeners. Um, in the creation stage of faith, it's like being in Eden, and everything is beautiful and blissful. There are no weeds to pull. There are no problems, and everything about the church is absolutely perfect. Then we hit the fall stage, and you run up against questions that you didn't have an answer to, or you see the beauty of other people's beliefs, but you thought you had a monopoly on the market. It's in the fall that we realize that things are not black and white, that those we put on pedestals are fallible and feel betrayed about things that we were taught in the garden. When you're in the fall, the most important thing to understand is that this is not your final destination. Like Adam, Adam and Eve, we can't go back to the creation stage because our eyes have been opened, but our journey in the fall has a purpose. That purpose is the same one we had in the creation, to become like Christ with greater love for those around us. Our struggles in the fall will set us up for the next stage, which is atonement, or the harmony stage of the of, the, of faith. In the atonement stage, we stop thinking in terms of right versus wrong or us versus them. In this stage, we rather think in terms of inclusion and transcendence and compassion and love. We can each be in a different faith stage and still be on the path. For example, in the creation stage, think of the pure faith that your little children had in you as mom and dad. They loved, respected, and believed everything you told them. They loyally defended you. Jenny shared with me an example of this one day when our children were young. Um, do you want to share that story? Sure. It's a, on a good day, Don can reach about 5'5 five, five <laughs> in height. <laughs> and uh, Emily loved him dearly because of this. And uh, when our kids were all outside playing one day, there several big families in our neighborhood that, we, that our kids grew up in. And one of the boys' dad is about 6'6". Six, six. And all the little boys, I don't know what they were doing, but my oldest son came in and I asked him kind of what they were arguing about. And he just said, said I told them, my dad is the tallest dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I said, this is one argument you will never win. <laughs> so, but. Yeah. So, so, I mean, in the creation stage, you know, we want to loyal defend just like my son did. And he did it with really good intentions, but, you know, it was shaped a little bit by, by innocence. And so 
the difference with that and the fall stage, you know, think about how your kids feel when they become teenagers. They start thinking about the world uh, coupled with their own experiences and they start realizing maybe mom and dad don't know everything or they can't relate to me or trust me. The fall has its own substages. There's nostalgia where we wish we could go back to the garden because of the pain and dissonance from having our eyes opened. That pain can turn to bitterness. That is where we feel betrayed by what we were taught in the garden. We feel the weight of the injustices and begin our own suffering. It's essential during that stage to find a safe place and a listening ear, which can start the healing of our wounds. If we don't find that healing, it's easy to fall into the stage of apathy and we start giving up our caring. It's easy to get stuck in apathy and think that this is our final destination. But if we can just keep going, looking for good fruit, we can get a glimpse of what God is shaping us to become from the fall. This is the beginning of the stage of hope in the fall. Finally, the fruition of our hope is the atonement stage. Think of your children becoming adults and parents. Their life experiences in the fall now give them perspective that they could not have learned in the creation stage. Now they can reconcile the conflict that they felt as teenagers and realize that you had weaknesses too. They are willing to extend grace for the hurt that you caused and hope that their children will do the same. They realize we're all on the same team doing our best until we know better. And when we know better, we can do better. This is really, and, this is really powerful. Keep sharing, Don. You know, I was just going to summarize and say that that's really when I learned that faith stages um, is, is a part of our maturing faith. And I, I realized that it was okay that I was wrestling with questions and doubts and I wasn't losing my testimony. I, I was, it was actually growing. And I, I think that's when I realized that's a, that's a message um, I just needed to share and something that was, um, had, was, was part of my journey. Um, that's really helpful. Keep sharing. I was just going to say, uh, one of the things I think that is important as you're going through this phase stage is that it's not it's not a one and done kind of a thing. Um, these stages ebb and flow. Um, for example, you know maybe we're in the atonement stage in one area of our life, but we can certainly still be in the fall in other in other places. Um, we can still be in the creation and not even know that there's a, a fall ahead, kind of a thing. And so I think it's important to understand that. Uh, it's not linear, um, that we all have our own individual journeys with maybe each different type uh, of, of issue or uh, thing that we might be going through in our lives. But ultimately, we're all maturing and, and gaining a perspective that I think is more like uh, what our Heavenly Father has and expects us to become. Why do you think people resonated with the talk so much? Because I've seen it shared on Facebook extensively. Yeah, I think what the feedback that I have gotten is a lot of people kind of said, this is exactly what I'm experienced, but I've never had uh, the vocabulary or the language to, to put it into. And when you shared that, you know, that I'm still on the path and there are good fruits that are coming from this, this, uh, this wrestle, um, I, I think that's what resonated with them. You know, they, they realized that, yeah, I'm not losing my testimony. I'm still on the path. And, and I think that's also kind of the, the other, other comments prior we got were people that just simply said, Hey, it is, 
I appreciate you telling me that I'm still on the path, even though I, I clearly can see that I'm in the fall. And uh, I think our doctrine teaches that. So I don't think it's, it's, it's far-fetched that we knew that the fall was a good thing. And so I, I think our faith journey compared to that is also reinforces that it's a good thing. Jenny, I'd love to hear some of your comments on this journey. So I, I probably grew up, so I grew up in Oregon, and so probably a little bit more um, open-minded. I, I didn't grow up in, you know, a predominantly um, Mormon area at all. I was probably one of five at my high school, pretty big high school. And so I was exposed to many kinds of, I mean, all different kinds of lives and people. And, and this is actually, I would have probably rather raised my children kind of it in kind of areas like that, but, but we, it's also okay. We, I mean, we ended up in Southeastern Idaho and my kids had a good experience growing up. So it all turned out, but I definitely was a little bit more open-minded. And so for me, this really hasn't, um, like, um, it hasn't been um, as hard for me to be, I'm okay with this, and I don't really care as much what other people think. And, um, but even though I, I have that attitude of, I don't care as much what other people think, it still hurts sometimes. And um, I think I'm really, well, I know I'm to the point now where I just celebrate Isaac. He is just, he's an amazing person and his partner is amazing, Brock. We love Brock. And, um, and I, want, I want to get to the point where my neighbors and friends can celebrate with me. And um, I hope, I, this is why we're doing this so they feel like they can and um and i think also i have been shocked at how many people have come up to me and um said you know thanks for this talk and also it's been i don't know it's been kind of sad too because there's been a lot of tears so i see people's faces that say do you know that i have a gay son and the pain and the hurt on their faces is um, not because they have a gay son or gay daughter, but it's because how they've been treated um, and excluded and made like they have to pick their son or daughter over, you know, that they have to either pick the church or their children. And I, um, I guess that's why I'm finding like, okay, we will do this because I guess my main message is you should not have to pick. <laughs> and I, if there's any bishops or state presidents out there listening to this, please don't put people in that position. It is painful. It is painful to have to choose or feel like you have to choose. And, um, or feel like you're less than or your child is less than. And, um, I have been shocked at the pain, the pain that's there. And I, I hope that we can shift to love knows no bounds <laughs> and that we can just love people. And we don't even need people to explain themselves. We can just simply love. And um, 
I hope that um, we can finally find the courage to be kind of a little bit more out there and um, kind of help people that are ready to move forward in this and that we can kind of help. And we can walk alongside them and um, be there for them. And that way they don't have to have that look of pain um, and feel that pain that they've been living with and dealing with. So powerful. Um, I'm so moved. Um, just a co couple comments, listeners, that come to my mind. I'm aware of Jared Halverson. I've listened to some, but I've never heard... What you just explained to us, Don, um, the garden, the fall, and the atonement as a model to, for faith crisis where it's part of growing. We all look at the fall, the garden, the fall, and the atonement. It's so core to our doctrine as a positive journey we're on, but culturally we don't sort of look at a faith crisis or a faith transition or having doubt that way. So I love the way you put your own experience into Jared's um, sort of framework and modeled that um, and how it's positive in your life and it's growth and it's healthy and I'm putting words in your mouth. It's been a positive thing for you. And I love where you shift from this certainty, um, which is one way to go forward and how shifting away from that actually brings out the spiritual gifts that we're asked to develop, empathy, compassion, understanding that are part of preach my gospel. And that's such a helpful thing for our listeners. Um, my experience is a lot of people in this space of the fall <laughs> want to find a way to stay in the church, um, but they need new models and new tools and new perspectives. And this is really helpful. And I hope we um, normalize the fall and normalize questions and normalize doubt and not use shaming language to describe people that have doubts. And um, some people may sort of stay in the garden their whole church life. And that may be the reality of just, that's okay. We're not asking people to leave the garden, <laughs> but for some people, life just is part of their journey as they leave the garden. And I guess we all do some ways. So I thought that was really helpful. Um, Jenny, your thoughts about, um, I wrote down, I think it was Jenny when, you know, you started to be more public about Isaac being gay. And you said, I think Jenny said, there's just, there was just one person in the ward. But what they said was so interesting to me. It was not very complicated. They just said, we are here. And after all these years, you still remember what that one person said. And I thought, what a simple thing to say. And how we all can say that. And you need, in a vulnerable moment, to know that ward members are here. And, and so, and we don't need to speak in hushed tones about um, our leaders of our church or the pulpit um, use LGBTQ language so we can use those very um, identifiers in our family circles and in our ward circles. We don't have to speak in hushed tones. Like, it's just creates shame and awkwardness. Um, I love, I was going to come back to Isaac, if that's okay. I want each of you to keep talking. Um, this is like a whole nother podcast, Isaac, but you're 30 now, I think, in a really good spot. I sense emotionally and I sense just looking at your, you know, I can see you on Zoom and 
I sense you're in a good spot just by, you know, countenance is a term we use um, in church culture, and maybe that's not always accurate, but talk talk to your younger self. Um, you can share whatever you want to share, whatever you feel impressed to spell with, share with listeners, or you could, and you could do that. Plus, talk to your younger self on your darkest days, what you would say to your younger self in a really tough spot, wondering if it's worth living. I mean, that makes me emotional just even thinking about that question. Um, I think some of the things that come to my mind are there are people out there who will love you. And whether that is family or whether that is chosen family, um, that's a term that we use sometimes, that you don't have to pretend or hide and you can find peace and love and joy, um, but you're going to have to be a little brave. You don't have to be alone, even though sometimes it feels easier to be alone because it's so scary to make that journey and to reach out for help. I think as humans, we just struggle asking for help. But if you just be a little bit brave, Start talking to a few people, asking for help. It will get better. And it will not look linear. It will not be fantastically the next day great. But if you are willing to give grace to people around you and they're willing to give grace to you, you'll get there. And I think the goal that I would just give to my younger self is like, we just want to get you in a healthy place. And what does healthy look like? Like, let's strip away the narratives of what is expected of you. Like you don't have to carry that on your shoulders anymore. You let's figure out what life is going to look like for you. I, I just remember fighting so many different things. I mean, I think my dad brought up earlier, about how he's, he's talked about when I first started dating men. And I remember I have a great relationship with my parents and I, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to start dating men. I'm a little bit excited, hoping for their support. And when my dad shared that, it was devastating to me. And I had a very like gut reaction of dad, like you feeling like you don't trust me enough to be like, I remember him saying, like, hey, if you start dating men, like, I just don't know what your path is going to look like. And I don't want to lose you. And what, where is this going to lead? What's next? And I just remember being like, I, I'm sorry. I thought you knew who I was. You know that I try so hard to be good, that, that I'm respectful and kind and courteous. And this one aspect of my life you think is going to change everything like i i have fought so hard to believe that i am a good person that i think i'm gonna have to ask you to either not like i will not be able to share this aspect of my life with you if this is the attitude that's going to be brought to me but i love you so much that i want to include you in all of my life and so it is 
we had to have those tough conversations of, and that's like the message of my younger self, like, Hey, it's going to be hard, but you have to be a little bit brave and you have to advocate for yourself a little bit. And, but when you do so, and you are just kind and gracious with those around you and give them space to reflect and say, okay, like, I, you know, my dad, he took it really well. He's like, Hey, I hear you. I hurt you. Let me think about this. And so we just kept those every step of my journey. Like I started dating men. I, then I told them, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to go to church anymore. Like, what does that look like for us? I want you to be a part of my life. Like, I'm going to tell you that I went to Costco on Sunday and it was great. There was no one at Costco. Like, <laughs> I, I want, like, I, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. Like, what's this going to look like? And then now we can laugh about it. And it is funny. And like, hey, I'm not going to wear my garments anymore. What, you know, like next family vacation, don't be surprised if I'm not wearing my garments. Like, like, and them being able to express like, oh, you know, that that's a that's a big decision. We, you know, those are very important covenants. Like, let's let's talk about this and and maybe understand. And you know, I would advocate to the listeners, like, if if you can choose to share, you know, very personal decisions with those around you, if you are loved and supported. And it's okay to not feel like you can share that information if you need that to protect yourself. Like, find those people who will love and support you and listen to you and be curious. I think that's one of the most important things is we have been so curious about each other's perspectives and life that, and we, we generally like being with each other. We enjoy, you know, I love having them stay with, you know, at Brock and I's place. Like, we go play pickleball. It's a whole competition. You know, we split up rock and my dad mom and mom and me anyway we love that with each other and but it is like with any relationship it requires time and effort to cultivate into a place where everyone is comfortable with each other it's a terrific segment um talk about this line that probably a lot of parents feel that you articulated that your dad shared i don't want to lose you Talk about, that's probably a real worry parents have when they see a child stepping away from the church, straight or gay. Um, does anybody want to put words to that and and how you, if you still feel that way or if you've managed to navigate that, does anybody want to take that on, mom or dad? <laughs> um, well, I think a little bit. Yeah. I am definitely get more emotional of the three. And so sometimes it's a little bit hard for me, but you know, I, I think um, this, this, this whole thing is a journey. <laughs> you know, when, when Isaac talks about, um, you know, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I'm not going to wear garments anymore. Um, that we we're fine with that. You, you look back and you think you're the one that went to the temple every week, you know, just so, so like all that meant so much to him. So when he tells us stuff like that, it's not like, oh, you're not going to wear your garments anymore. It's, it's like, a, um, it hurts your heart because you realize that meant so much to him at one time. And he would still do all that if he was accepted and it was okay. And, um, 
And so it's, there's a lot of pain. <laughs> Not about the garment, but it's about the pain of he doesn't, he's not accepted there anymore. And so all this is very painful. And um, so when you get the phone call and you can tell he's so down and they're not, you, you don't get those phone calls as much anymore, rarely. And, um, but for a long time, for a few years, you know, that's, that's what the phone calls were. And um, there were times, you know, we asked him, do you want us to get in the car and come right now? And I remember, I, re I will regret this my whole life, but I was at a meeting at church. <laughs> and I had stepped out of the meeting because Isaac had called me like three times right in a row. And I was right in the middle of this meeting. And I can't remember what meeting it was, but I was in charge of the meeting. So I felt like, you know, I was so important. I had to be there. So I remember stepping out of the room and telling Isaac, I'm in a meeting right now. And I could hear emotion in his voice. But instead of, you know, opening the door and saying, hey, you guys will have to finish this without me. I said, can I call you back? And I think that was a, a really hard day for him. And then when I finished my meeting and tried to call him back, he didn't answer and didn't answer and didn't answer. And I, w I was panicked and um, wondered what was going on. And um, finally, he called me back and he said, oh, since you couldn't talk, I called a friend. And um, I'm OK now, Mom. But um, and this is one I'd like to add, we love Isaac's friends. <laughs> he has. He met a group of kids his freshman year at BYU, and they have remained friends for all these years. And they, most of them have all been to their house. Some of them bring their kids now. And we love Isaac's group of friends. And uh, they, have, they are the chosen family. And I want them to know how much I love them. Um, but yeah, it's a... Uh, to, to be in a spot where you're wondering where your son is and if he's okay is a tough, tough, it's, it's hard. Really hard. I don't know. No, that was the best part, Richard, was just what Jenny shared. Um, she, she is the heart and soul of everything. And I, I'll just reiterate that, yeah, I used to worry about, am I going to lose my son? I, I don't anymore. Uh, I think I know exactly what a good person he is. And I think you could tell just by how thoughtful his responses are. And they're that way because he has borne good fruits. Um, he's wrestled more than anybody else. And both he and Brock are this way. They both have an amazing capacity for compassion and empathy. And it's because of their wrestle. And I look up to them and the church could benefit so much from having them coming to church and they both used to love church but just like Jenny said it's been it's been so hurtful and hard and and it's our loss it is um i wish i could you could see the body language between um isaac and his parents we're recording this on father's day 
Um, I think Jenny and Don have traveled from their home in Idaho to be with Isaac and Brock in their home in Utah County. And um, several times during the podcast, Isaac, who's sitting next to Don, his dad, has just put his arm around his dad. And I just, the symbolism of his comfort with talking about this subject with his parents in his home, playing pickleball with his boyfriend, um, and all of you walking this road together is just a beautiful family love story. It didn't come on day one. Um, and it's not, but it seems like your culture of communication, having hard discussions and being open. Isaac, your decision to want to involve your parents in your journey, I, I think that's a good thing. I think you make better decisions when, and the, and the conversations that are kind of the elephant in the room conversations like, well, Isaac doesn't have his garments any on anymore. You've, or Isaac's obviously dating men. I think, and not everybody can do this, but your desire to kind of want to process that with your parents and keep the conversation going is a credit to just your, um, your, your maturity and the work you've done and wanting to preserve the family relationship. It seems like the decisions you've all made are out of love and wanting to support each other. Um, some would say, listeners, well, Isaac, you and Brock have a place. You're welcome at church. And I might have said that in the past, and I recognize it's just harder. <laughs> um, you can't fully participate in the church. I think in some, we hopefully you're welcome in a con- congregation, but, you know, you can't fully participate in the church. You may be able to have some callings that don't require a temple recommend, um, but it's just different than if you were straight. And I think we all know that if you are straight, you'd be married to a woman and fully participating in the church right now. And this is part of your identity that you can't undo. And I think our listeners generally understand that. I didn't really understand that until I started listening to gay men and got more complicated for me. And you've, and you're helping us better understand. So we have really good people that step away from the church. (laughs) And I've learned just to you know, do what your parents are doing, just to send you all my love and support and, and hope that your life and believe your life will be successful. I, you know, I don't secretly hope your life falls apart. So you come back to the church or something. I just, you're always invited to come back. I'm not your bishop or anything here, but you're always invited to come back. But I just, and this is me talking to listeners. I just support you and Brock as you self-determine your best path forward. And that's kind of been my message is I invite um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to stay in the church. But if they feel their path is different, I'll say, well, I'll walk with you um, as you determine your best path forward. And I think it's best to do that when you're in your best spot emotionally, spiritually, and maybe in relationship with your parents. So you can all kind of walk that road together and then play pickleball together, <laughs> um, which seems to be a family sport. So. Um, and I, I love this. I love how you've gotten beyond this phrase. I don't want to lose you. Um, that's a real fear. And sometimes even we say statements where you're not going to have your, do you worry about empty chairs in the next life? Um, Don or Jenny, um, how do you, cause that's a fear that LDS parents have if they've got adult kids that aren't in the church and perhaps never return to the church in mortality. They're worried about, what does this mean for eternal family? Do either of you want to take that on and just how you feel about that? I'm just sharing kind of how I've navigated it. I, I, uh, 
and I, it, it's not my own original thought. I've heard it from other people, but the empty chair part is I can do my part in making sure there's no empty chairs in my home. And I, I look at it that way in terms of everybody, all my kids, everybody is always going to be welcome in my home. And I want those chairs full. I'm not so much worried about how that looks in heaven, except I know that Heavenly Father loves my son Isaac even more than, than I do. And I, the, our, their, our Heavenly Parents love their children more than we can ever. And so I'm not worried about it. I think things, if, if I need to be happy to have my son there, I'm going to be with him. And, and that's how, how I've navigated and how I feel about it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more out there and <laughs> my family will laugh because I just am. <laughs> and so wherever Isaac will be, we'll all be. So, and Isaac will probably be in a better place, <laughs> much more beautiful garden than the rest of us that are for work. We will be together. There will be no empty chairs for our family. Um, and I have thought so much about this. Um, the empty chairs things is a, a little bit of a um, trigger for me, just a little bit. Um, can be pretty triggering because I think it's meant uh, that no empty chairs thing is kind of a almost a it can be a shame and a fear but I don't even I don't like that analogy how a lot of people do talk about it at church and it's just kind of an interesting story and this happened many years ago but there was a family in our ward that had all boys quite a few boys and when each one of their boys would get the mission call and go on a mission down their uh, very lovely home and their the entry of their hallway would be their boy's mission picture. And um, I remember the state president at the time, you know, got up and said how he had been to this family's home and what a great honorary hall it was and how, you know, the younger son would want their picture to be on that hallway. and. Um, I remember we were just sitting in front of the family that was, you know, being talked about. And I remember their kids standing up after sacrament and just laughing and just being like, we hate that hall. <laughs> you know? like, that's the worst room in our house, you know, because there's so much expectation and, and, um, you know, we wish we could just take the pictures down and redecorate. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the no empty chair, the picture on the hall, you know, what is this going to, how does our family look like to everybody else? And I think in the church, we really get caught up in that. And um, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's hard. And I think if we really think about what we're doing to ourselves, even, and to other people, to our kids, there's a different way. There's a different way. If we just talk about loving people, where they are in their journey and walking beside people, not so worried about the empty chair, picture in the hall. I, I think we would just, it would be so much healthier for everybody. That's a great segment, Jenny. I know on my own journey, I've always tried to develop my self-worth around things I can control, like my relationship with Christ and not sort of meeting cultural expectations like the choices of my children or financial status or looks. And I just think social media and our culture sort of create a way of seeing that then we, as parents, we have to measure up to the ideal or the 
the celebrated stories that we hear in church, and that may not be the reality of our own lives, and it makes can make it hard for some Latter-day Saints to just feel like they're doing okay. Um, so that was really thoughtful. Um, we're kind of coming to the end. I just, um, I, Isaac, how do you, here's, I, I think you have some more things to help our listeners with. <laughs> um, you know, how do you feel about being gay at this point? Or is this something, if you could press the red button on the table in front of you to be straight, I assume you would have pressed that and prayed for that to happen. At this point, would you press that and be straight? Or are you glad for who you are? And how do you, do you feel like this is the way Heavenly Father always meant you to be or not? Or these are kind of open-ended questions for you to run with, but pretty thoughtful um, guest. And I wanted to see if you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, great question. And you're right in the sense of, you know, like nine years ago, you you would have seen me pressing that button as quick as I could. And now that I'm a little bit on the other end of it, I think it has brought so much beauty and happiness to my life that there is no way I would ever press that button. I love my partner and I love that the life that we get to build together and the community of people that we have in our lives, just the diverse ways that humans are and learning about their stories and perspectives inside the LGBTQ community inside people of faith and, you know, just the people that we've met on our journey. I feel like the person who I was, you know, that, that really good rule follower boy and so innocent and naive, but tried so hard to do good. I stepped out of a world of black and white into a world that I thought was just all gray. And now I just see the beauty of gray that there is so much different perspective and thought. And although it does make it harder sometimes, it's kind of um, in a way so much more rewarding because I just, the relationship that I have with my parents where they see me, I don't have to hide. I can tell them about the pride parade that I marched in with my friends. I can tell them about my hopes and dreams with my partner, that type of relationship. I enjoy so much. And then the deep conversation that we get to have now it's involved into other things. And we discuss like what's actually important to us and, you know, fears, hopes, and dreams that we have. Maybe I would have gotten there if I had pressed the button and lived a different life. Maybe I wouldn't have, but I wouldn't risk trading away that now. And especially knowing that they don't expect, like if one day the church changed its doctrine and they accepted LG, LGBTQ people, there is an expectation of, hey, Isaac, come back. It's your time to come back now. It's, oh, wow, that changed. How's your day with your partner? Like, they just love me. And I just wish that everyone listening to this could experience that of, just coming at to peace with yourself. And, you know, there are good days and bad days still. Like, I mean, there's still trauma. There's still things to learn. But, yeah, no, I would not press that button. It's been a journey, good and bad, but 
wow, it's been beautiful. It's a great place to be. Um, respect for you for the work you've done and the support you've had and finding your way, your community at times to be where you are. And I think when you're in this position of no shame and deep acceptance of who you are, I'm not a therapist. Um, I'm a small business owner. My feeling is people make better decisions um, and they can get over the hurt and pain they may feel. Um, another question for you, Isaac, you, you know, you have family in the church and you're not in the church and there's not really a space for you and Brock like there would be for a straight couple. Why do you, why do you want your parents to leave the church or others that are in the church to leave the church because it hasn't been, it hasn't worked for you or whatever vocabulary would resonate? Is that okay to ask you that question? Yeah, let me clarify. Why would I want people to leave the church yeah. or how, how do I feel about that? Well, some that leave the church want people to leave with them to kind of honor where they are and support where they are. And others are okay with family members staying in the church, even if they've left. And tell you could tell our listeners where you are on that space and why you're in that, what, where you are on the why and where. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. So I feel that my answer really just depends on person to person. Um, there is no doubt that some people who find the church, their life is going to be so much better because they found the church and they love it and it brings them so much beauty and peace. And that is great for them. Like, like if they want to tell me about what's important to them, great. I'm listening. And if there's a point where their what is important to them hurts me, I'm all about being transparent and having an open and honest conversation with someone who I love. Like, Hey, I am so glad that this is meaningful to you. Maybe that particular experience was painful for me. So I'm going to step away for a minute, but I want to see you. Like, I love you. And then maybe I have other folks in my life who are, who are maybe in this stage of faith and my dad's talk. And maybe they're leaning towards choosing to step away or they really want to. They're feeling very, feeling that's the right thing for them to do at this time spiritually. I'm there listening. I'm there, you know, like, how can I best support you? Is this something that you want to talk about? Like, where are we at in this journey? And I'll try to match your step. And then there are some people who, for, for lack of better words, are like, burn it down. Like, you know, I'm very passionate about this. This is causing harm. Like, okay, like, we're really riled about this. Like, it's, I feel like for me, I've been trying to do better at just seeing people where they're at on that day and knowing people are going to change their perspectives many times before they land somewhere. And I think it's just the importance of developing relationships with those around you in ways that like it doesn't, your relationship isn't based off of religion or sexuality or this, your relationship is based off of getting to know that individual. And so I just want to provide space for people to know that I, you know, I love them and journeys are difficult. So I will, I'll help them along the way. It's a lot of grace in that answer. And I'd love to have your parents comment. A lot of grace in that answer. Sometimes when we have a personal story, we want others to follow that story and live that same road. And it takes a lot of grace and courage to let people write their own story and 
and be in their own space and honor that. Your parents are doing that with you. It sounds like you're doing that with others in your life that are um, fully participating in the church and recognizing the joy it may bring them, even though it, it didn't work out for you. And um, I love, I wrote down non-transactional love and non-transactional relationships. Steve Young's book, The Law of Love, talks about that a lot is, I think we just do better when we have these non-agenda relationships that are just based on Jenny's, you know, earlier comments. We just love people because they deserve to be loved, not because there's an agenda in there, just because they deserve to be loved. And I think people make better decisions when they don't feel an agenda behind our actions or our love. And so that was a pretty mature segment. I sort of think at this point I could ask you any hard question and you could handle it, but... (laughs) We're coming to the end. <laughs> I think I could ask any of you any hard question, and you haven't thought you've already thought about it before and the answer. Don or Jenny, do you have any more thoughts that come to your mind? I will just say, Richard, and maybe Jenny will have something to add, but I just wanted to say how much I appreciate the work that both you and David do in this space of those that are marginalized. Um, I came to your podcast when I wanted to learn more. And it's been so helpful for me to see perspective. And uh, I think I've mentioned before, I would love to meet your parents because they must be incredible. (laughs) Two sons that are in this work. And so I just wanted to thank you for everything you have done for so many, so many people. Thank you, Don. Jenny, Isaac? Anything that you want to say, Isaac? Just to listeners out there, definitely we have messed up a lot (laughs) and you can mess up. And if, if you are trying and giving grace, I think there's a better place in the future. So keep hanging in there. Yeah. And I, I guess I would say um, to, to anybody listening is, um, I really do see, I feel and see a slight change happening that people are becoming more curious, more and more accepting, and especially the younger generation. And I am excited about that. I'm so excited about that. Um, and I don't know, I just hope that that people that maybe do feel a little bit more rigid in their ways. I just would encourage that if you can open your heart, you will just, you will be shocked how much your heart grows and the love grows and how, how much better you even feel about yourself. You just, love can just be so big and so huge and so encompassing. And I think if that, if you can um, reach out to people and learn like what you've done all these years, just learn about other people's lives and just help them celebrate their journeys. Um, You'll just be amazed where it takes you. I'm just so moved. What a, what a beautiful Father's Day love story this is. And you won't hear this listeners on Father's Day, but it's sort of, I think, um, meaningful that we're recording this on Father's Day and, and you're all together. Um, you know, act on the impressions you felt on this podcast, listeners. You'll pick up different things than I have. Um, we also recorded a podcast. We ought to give a shout out to your sister, Jeannie Edwards. I think that's your sister, Dawn. 
Right. And she has a gay son, Sean. Um, they live in New Jersey, or at least Jeannie does. I think Sean lives here in Utah. And they were episode 400, right on the button 400, recorded in April 2021. And so that's part of your extended family that's also walking this road. Uh, listeners, I sometimes quote this Apollo 13 quote. It's Gene Kratz. When everything's going sideways, he's the commander of Apollo 13, and he's in this situation where it just looks like the worst-case scenario. And everybody around him is pointing out all the problems, and he just stands up, at least in the movie, and he says, excuse me, this is going to be our finest moment. And I think this is your finest moment as a family, this story of Isaac coming out eight years ago and walking this road for the last eight years. I think this is, and you're, you've got other kids that are walking this road with you. Would, would you have a story to tell about their love, I assume, for Isaac and their support? I love that you're, Don. I've looked at your Facebook today and you've got, I think Jeannie probably has the same, Jenny has the same picture. It's just your whole family together, including Brock. You know, and just this close family circle. And I just think that picture represents, and we'll put that when we post this on Facebook for those of you on social media and Instagram, you'll see that picture. But I think this is, you know, your finest family moment. It's not over. Um, it's not just a point in time like maybe Apollo 13 is. And I think that's one of the tests is just how we handle these difficult things that come into our life. And this is a story about keeping the communication lines open and no ultimatums and being curious and keep and learning and being willing to grow and um, nobody being perfect, but it's just a great spot. And so here you are playing pickleball together. I think that's just kind of awesome. Um, in our ward today, we, um, our ward came back from Trek. I've been to Trek a lot in Martins Cove um, over the years. I wasn't this year and um, they had really bad weather. And one of the youth leaders spoke. Um, he says, I get really cold. And I was just so cold at track. And another youth leader came over to me and offered me, I think, one or two coats. And it just answered my prayer. And of course, I think of everything through LGBTQ eyes as an ally. And I thought of, I thought of closeted queer youth that need to be, need to feel two warm coats over them from the things we say or do in our congregations. Isaac, you know, 10 years ago, he probably didn't get this. Most of the comments he probably heard in church were negative towards people like him. And with no change of doctrine, we can just, and our leaders have said kind things at times, we could just flood our congregations and our families with kind things about LGBTQ people. They are our own people. They're the Isaacs sitting in our congregation wondering, what would people think of me if they really knew me? And we can be proactive and say, this is what, how we think about you. And figuratively put warm coats, that's the visual imagery, on all our closeted, closeted queer youth in the church that are not out but aware they're not straight. And some are out and still need two coats of two warm coats. So just think of that visual imagery. It's what I got out of church today. Um, and, um, any, raise your hand if you have any more final comments. I just sometimes don't need to be the last word. All right. I'm <laughs> getting thumbs up. So, um, this is Jenny and Don Hong who've been married for 35 years, four kids, three grandkids, Isaac and, 
uh, Brock, who's sort of here, but not here actually, but we've been talking about Brock. So I kind of think you're on the broadcast, Brock, because we've talked about you and the good man you are and, and signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>